First Chronicles chapter 16. Let's stand together, please. And I'm going to read just three small portions of this passage. And we'll look at some other parts of it as we get into the message tonight. But in First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 1 sets the stage. It says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. I'll just just notice before we read another verse that he gave these Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. They just brought the ark back and to record And the word record means to remember, to make sure we don't forget, to record. And to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Look in verse 7, if you would, please. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So David writes this song, this poem, this psalm, And he gives it to Asaph, who was the chief of the Levites. And the purpose of that psalm was what in verse 7? To thank the Lord. It was a specific purpose was to thank the Lord. Verse 8 says, give thanks unto the Lord. This is how it begins. We're not going to read the whole psalm. But it begins with these words. The very first words of the song, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name and make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms unto Him and talk ye. Talk about. Speak of all His wondrous works. And then if you look near the end of the psalm, let's look in verse 34. This is the end, nearing the end of the psalm. Verse 34 says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For his mercy endureth forever, and say ye, give thanks to him, and then say this, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together, and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to thy holy name, and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever, that's the end of the psalm, And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We pray that as we go through it tonight, we would just be reminded of how good you are, the importance of our recognition, our acknowledgement of your goodness. Father, we see in us, we see in our own heart, we see in our own mind, this natural tendency not to express appreciation and sometimes not even recognize 
your blessings. Father, we see it so much in the culture we live in. Lord, we, we don't want to, by the grace of God, find ourselves in a place where everything looks like um, there's no hope or looks like you've somehow failed us. Lord, you're good, and we praise you for that. So we pray that you'd bless tonight as we look into your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are pretty familiar with the Bible, you'll recognize that this was a very, very special occasion uh, in the life of Israel. Uh, It tells us in verse 1 that they'd brought the Ark of God, that's the Ark of the Covenant, they'd brought the Ark of the Covenant and they'd placed it in this tent that David had prepared. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was... I think without dispute, the most treasured piece of furniture in the tabernacle, in the Old Testament tabernacle that God instructed Moses for construction. By the way, the reason it's called the tabernacle, a tabernacle is a place you live. It's called the tabernacle because that's where God would show up. God would manifest His presence in the tabernacle. That's That's where God's manifest presence was. And so... This tabernacle had an outer courtyard, and that's where the, uh, the altar of sacrifice was, the brazen altar, and the, the, laver of, the laver of brass. It's where the priests would wash their hands, where the sacrifices would be made in the outer court. And then you'd go through a curtain into the inner court, and then you would go into what is called, we call the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, And in that most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. It was kept there in this holy place. At one time, uh, that Ark of the Covenant contained, uh, it'd be like a cabinet really, and inside it was a jar of manna, uh, a reminder of how God provided for His people through their wilderness wanderings. And there was also Aaron's rod that budded, was inside that Ark of the Covenant, and then the Tables of Stone, the Ten Commandments, is all in there. And really, the, the, the focus of the attention in the Ark of the Covenant was on the uh, mercy seat, solid gold mercy seat that sat atop it. And that's where God would meet with His people in a very special way. So this is a very special piece of furniture. It's not like an antique. It like it represented the presence of God, God's blessing, the gospel. And in the course of time, during the time that Saul was the king, the ark was stolen by the Philistines. And so when David is at this point right here, Saul is dead. David is now the king. And he wants to bring the ark back. This is a major step for them. And it, because it had been taken by the Philistines. And as you may know, uh, the, this was not his first attempt to bring the ark back. The first attempt ended in a total disaster because they were put it on, rather than carried it on the, by the staves on the shoulders of the priests, it was carried on a cart. And that cart went across a rough place and moved, and they reached out and touched it. And the man by the name of Yuza was killed instantly. And so that was a bad moment. So now, their second attempt, though, they did it God's way. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant back. Now, this was a joyous 
occasion. Look in verse 25 of chapter 15. First Chronicles 15 and verse 25 says, So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obadidim with joy. It was a joyous occasion. They were excited to bring the Ark back to its rightful place. It came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites that bear the ark and the singers and Chenani, the master of the song with the singers. They've got the choir going. All these singers are singing, offering sacrifices. And David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting. Imagine that. They couldn't contain their happiness. They couldn't contain their joy. They couldn't contain their excitement. And the orchestra is playing with the sound of the cornet and with trumpets and with cymbals, making a sound, a noise with psalteries and harps. And it came to pass, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, who also happened to be a wife of David, Looking out at a window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. She couldn't relate to it. She couldn't couldn't relate to his enthusiasm. She could not relate to his excitement. She was more concerned about David's, um, the way he appeared to people, than, than this wonderful thing that's happening. Imagine someone, the whole city is shouting and excited and worshiping God, and here's Here's this woman was upset. By the way, it happens still today. People, people don't understand why, we, why we're happy, why we, why we testify, why we're glad for God's blessing in our life, and they just don't get it. And she, she, paid for the, she paid a price for it. So this was a very jubilant occasion. And David, in writing this psalm, wanted to make sure that the people recognized the goodness of God. They wanted to make sure that the people were praising God and thanking God. And that's why we have this introduction in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, why he appointed these singers in uh, chapter 16 and verse 4, and why he wrote this psalm and the purpose of the psalm. Imagine this. The purpose of the psalm was to lead the people to be thankful. You think, you think sometimes people need to be led to be thankful? I think so. Now, you'd think we wouldn't need to be led. You'd think we'd just be thankful. But sometimes we fail to recognize our blessings. Sometimes we fail to acknowledge that God's been good to us. And so this is what David was doing. And in this psalm, he, he mentions numerous things. Look in verse 12, for instance. Keep in mind, what did he say in verse 4? He said, I want you to record these things. I want you to make, make a note of these things. Make sure we don't forget these things. In verse 12, he says, remember. He said, this is a psalm. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders, 
and the judgments of his mouth. He's talking about God. Remember, remember the things that God has done. By the way, that's a good thing for us to remember. The things that God has done. And the first thing we ought to, if you're really saved, you ought to remember the fact that God saved you. That he forgave you of your sins. That he erased the darkness of your path. That's, that, that's really something to think about and, and rejoice in. So he reminded them about his works. He reminded them in verse 12 about his wonders and about his word. He says the judgments of his mouth. The judgments of his mouth are the, word, the things that God has said. Don't forget that. If you look in verse 13... He says this, O you seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen one. The psalm is speaking about the nation of Israel, the children of Jacob. And he calls them his chosen ones. He says, you need to remember that God chose you. That God adopted. Israel did nothing, zero, nada, to deserve God's blessing. God just chose Abraham. Out of the blue, God chose Abraham. And that, by the way, God has the, God has the prerogative to do that. Amen? He does. And, and so it reminds me of the fact that God didn't have to save us. He adopted us into his family. Amen. We've been adopted. We belong. We've been chosen by God in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 15, he says, be ye mindful. Here's that remembrance. Be ye mindful always, he says in his psalm, of his covenant. That's talking about his promise. The word which he hath commanded to a thousand generations. His promises that are always going to be true and always going to be dependable and always going to be faithful to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath with Isaac and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Remember his promises. Remember God's promises. And that'd be good for us to do that too, wouldn't it? His promise of eternal life. His promise of sins forgiven. His promise of his abiding presence. That he'll never leave us. Never leave us. Nor forsake us. The promise of his providential guidance that he's not only with us, but he's going to direct our paths. The promise of an eternal home. I mean, he's given us these exceeding great and precious promises. And David said, I just want you to be reminded that God's been good and we ought to be reminded of his promises. And then in verse 19, he says, when you were, talking about Israel, but a few... You were but few, even a few, and strangers in it. And when they went from nation to nation and from kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes. He's reminding them of God's protection. God took care of them. God provided for them and protected them. And so all this psalm is a psalm to encourage the people to be thankful. In verse 23, he says, Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Show forth from day to day His salvation. Declare His glory among the heathen, His marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. 
For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in His presence. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. David wanted them to give God the praise that God deserves. We ought to do the same thing. Whether whether we give Him praise or not, He still deserves it. Amen. He deserves to be praised. And I think Thanksgiving is a good time because it puts front and center in our life in ways that you cannot avoid it not even in public in the public arena and secular world you can't get around it it would and it, and we read this Sunday morning beginning with our first president George Washington that our presidents have made proclamations saying it it behooves us as a people to stop what we're doing and thank and praise God for his goodness it's a good thing and we need it america needs it We all need it. There are people who are bogged down in in life. And life is not always favorable. The circumstances of life are not always favorable. But that doesn't mean God is not good. And it it doesn't mean we put our praise on hold until our circumstances improve. No, God deserves to be thanked and praised all the time. So... David wanted them to praise the Lord. In verse 30 he says, Fear before him all the earth. The world also should be stable, that it be not moved. So they want him to worship them with reverence. Fear means reverence. Respect for God. Honoring God. Adoring God. Beholding God. Submitting to God. Surrendering to God. Exalting God. It ought to be done with a fear of God. And then in verse 34, he says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He's good. For His mercy endureth forever. What a thanking for His goodness. God is good. God provided for these people. Sure, they had enemies. Sure, they had battles. And sure, they had occasional defeat. Because their own disobedience, their idolatry, But God remained good to them. God provided them. Even when they were rebellious, God fed them every day with manna from heaven. Isn't that an amazing thing? God is good. And when he finished this psalm in verse 36, it says, And all the people said, Amen. The word amen means, I agree. I agree to what's been said. I agree that God is good. I agree that God ought to be praised. I agree that God ought to be thanked. They had so much to thank God for. And I'll tell you, we've got a lot to thank God for, don't we? It's good to count our blessings. And that's what Thanksgiving does. It acknowledges God's blessing. It acknowledges God's goodness. Every one of us can look around us and see things that we wish were different. But that doesn't change the fact that God is still good. 
And he does, and he's, and, and if any of us, any one of us, got what we deserved, where do you think we'd be tonight? I'd be in hell. I've, I've rebelled against God. I've disobeyed God. In my past, I've cursed God. I deserve to be in hell. So anything outside of hell is good for me. And it's good for you. It's easy. I think it's even natural. I think it's a part of our fallen nature to focus on negative things more than on positive things. You don't have to work at it. But I'm telling you, God is still good. Amen? Um, I read an article today about uh, someone that I heard about when we first, when we first became Christians, uh, Johnny Erickson. She's married since then. Johnny Erickson Todd, many of y'all know that name. Uh, she's 69 now. doesn't seem possible. People are getting older, except for us, of course. But I heard her story when we were new Christians in the 70s. And um, she had, she was 18 years old. She was diving into the Chesapeake Bay. Failed to judge the depth of the water. She broke her neck. At the time, she was 18 years old. She was a quadriplegic, totally paralyzed from the neck down. And um, so for 51 years now, she's lived in a wheelchair with chronic pain. But over those 51 years, and when I first heard about her, she was, God was already using her. Her testimony was very meaningful. Some of you have read some of her books. By the way, she's written over 40 books. And she spent these 51 years evangelizing and discipling people with disabilities. She has six honorary doctor's degrees. She's helped deliver 170,000, 170,000 wheelchairs to disabled people around the world. And I remember as a new Christian being impressed with her testimony because she's an example. She was an example then of someone who focuses more on what they have than what they don't have and focuses more on what they can do than what they cannot do. In 2010, she was diagnosed with cancer. You may may or may not have heard that part of her story, but she underwent a mastectomy and was declared cancer-free after five years. Just recently, she had her second cancer diagnosis. And so she's back facing cancer surgery, cancer treatment again. Here's the part I want to get to. This is what she wrote recently about this second diagnosis of cancer after already battling cancer once, after living in a wheelchair for 51 years. She said, and I quote, When I received the unexpected news of cancer from my oncology surgeon, I relaxed and smiled, knowing that my sovereign God loves me dearly and holds me tightly in his hands. What good is it if we only trust the Lord when we understand his ways? 
that only guarantees a life filled with doubts. It doesn't say this, but the reason it's a life filled with doubts is you'll never understand all of God's ways. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above understanding. If you get that job, there's a reason. If you don't get that job, there must be a reason. And if you have to understand it, if you have to agree to it, if you have to approve of it, then like she said in this quote, you're going to have a life filled with doubts because you'll never figure it all out. And when I, and this is not the only person I've ever heard with this kind of a story, and it's not the only person you've ever heard with this kind of a story. But sometimes when I read things like this, I'm ashamed of myself. When I forget how blessed I am. When I forget how good God has been. When I focus more on difficulties or challenges than on the God who's always with me no matter what I'm going through. We've all got so much to be thankful for. So much to be grateful for. And as I said earlier, it's, good, it's not good for us not to give thanks. As much as I give thanks, I know I ought to give Him thanks more. Because God is good. And He... He loads us with benefits. It's good for us, but it's also good for God. It's good. I mean, God's going to get by without my gratitude, right? God's going get to get by without my praise, but He deserves to be praised. He deserves to be thanked. He deserves to be honored. Someone and I were talking just the other day about, you know, how people struggle with the loss of a loved one, maybe someone close to them, and, and get upset with God because God would take this loved one. And, and I said to this person, I said, you know, what we say or don't say may not make a lot of difference because people may not accept it. But I said, one thing I say to people sometimes when they act like God doesn't know what it's like, I remind them God gave His only Son God gave His Son. And He didn't deserve anything. And He willingly gave His life. You may say, well, that just sounds kind of like flowery speech. I'm just, it's truth is what it is. It's Bible truth. And whether we feel it or not is not near as important as how accurate it is. God is, God is good. And it's good for us to give Him thanks. But thirdly and finally, it's good for others. I mean, when, when this story that I read to you about this woman, her story helps me. It's good for others. When people acknowledge God's goodness, when, people, when, when your children see you sincerely thanking and praising God, it's good for them. By the way, on the other hand, if they see us just always being negative and critical, that's not good for them. It's good for other people to hear us praise the Lord. It encourages me. I mean, I'm not making this up. Brother Murray encouraged me yesterday. Here's a man, 
maybe in the final stages of Alzheimer's. He only knows two or three people. But he encourages me. He helps me. I'm just saying, it's good for people. It's good for people when we give thanks to God. Amen? We've got so much to be thankful for. And I, and I know, you know, you could say, well, it's just a national holiday, but I like it. I like it. 